1: Everyone out there thinking about starting a podcast, let me tell you this. When we switched to remote podcasting six years ago, it was a headache. Multiple pieces of software, inconsistent sound quality, and honestly, nearly impossible to bring in guests, let alone record videos. Then we discovered ZenCaster. ZenCaster gives us studio quality recording, including video up to 4K, and distribution to podcast players that support it. We've consolidated our podcasting efforts, doing everything from recording to publishing in a single platform. And now having guests on has become free. Zencaster is about making the podcasting experience as easy as possible, including local recording, automatic post-production, which we love, and no outside software needed to record and publish an episode. I honestly cannot imagine recording both without Zencaster. So if you're interested, go to Zencaster.com pricing and use our code VGA you'll get 30% off your first three months of Zencaster Professional. We want you to have the same easy experience we do for all our podcasting and content needs. It's time to share your story.
2: Welcome to Board Gamers Anonymous, the podcast about board gamers and the insane fun we have at the table together. This is Chris. And this is Anthony. And this is episode 394, the next 50 Games Reviews Revisited. We'd like to thank all of our Patreon backers for helping us bring you a brand new episode. Hey friends, we're back and you loved the last episode so much, we brought you another episode of Epic Reviews reviewed of the last 50 or so games that we played way back in the day because those are still awesome games, or are they? Huh? 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 What do you think, Anthony? Yeah, are they? Sometimes they're not. That's huh? true. <laughs> Some of these are bad now. <laughs> uh, we were young and we were happy and we had board games and they were joyous and we used to skip and hop through the fields with the cardboard and now it's just like, uh, I still own this why do I still own this game? I can't, why did I even buy this game? So yeah, we'll get some of those, but most, most of the skipping, hopping into fields. I, I think there's a lot of cardboard goodness to go around.
1: Yeah, absolutely. There's, there's a lot of really good stuff in here. And I think this goes back to 2014 and 2015. Wow. So it's still, still a number of years ago, seven eight wow. years ago.
2: A lot we were dreams. kids. We were young. <laughs> Yeah, I think it's it's really fun to revisit these and so many of these games probably all of you out there have in your collection and maybe it doesn't get table time. So maybe this will encourage you to bring those games back out or maybe it lets you know what games that might be out there, might be on sale or might be somewhere within your grasp. You should sit down and play them because they're a great game. So yeah, this will be another really fun list. So strap in. I think it's going to be fun. We're going to shoot out another 50 games. And let you know what we think about them, what we thought about them. And again, as always, all of our episodes are still up and available. Please take a look back. Hear how we once sound and hear how it's so much better. <laughs> and it will be better in the future. But it's so much better than it was. and But we still had a lot of fun. I think a lot of those episodes, especially this, this crew of episodes, I think are fantastic. So check back BoardGamersAnonymous.com or any of your podcast players. Everything is available from the very beginning, and you can hear detailed reviews of each of these games. Some of these reviews actually had full walkthroughs or partial walkthroughs or comparisons or verses, and Anthony will go through a little bit about that. But I think they're timeless, and I think that's what's, what's so fun about Cardboard is just generally once you got it, it's good forever, and you can typically have a good time at the table. So, Anthony, with that said, I'll leave it to you to take us through way back the machine to all of these original games that we reviewed. And now we'll review again. All right. Yeah, let's kick oh. it off
1: with 2015's Between Two Cities. Okay. Uh, this was a very special review because we got an early prototype from Stonemaier Games mm-hmm. back in February of 2015. And this was the infamous con where we almost all died. <laughs> <laughs> it was icy and snowing oh and we were gosh. driving around and yeah we stayed late we played between two cities at that convention and mm-hmm. we actually liked it a lot but I mostly remember the part where we almost died
2: so. yeah I, we actually have pictures of this you know us playing at the table with uh Drew and Daniel and yeah there was a, an insane snowstorm and yeah, that was not advisable to pick Drew up in an insane snowstorm and then drive home this insane snowstorm. But to, to to my credit there, my friend, we got ourselves there and back without any kind of yeah. craziness.
1: Yep, some quality driving because the rest go, of us buddy. are like, oh, my God, this was a bad idea. We should have <laughs> slept happens? in the hotel.
2: <laughs> yes, we should have said, yes, kids, listen to, what, listen to what we're saying here. Sleep in the hotel. Don't Don't try the roads. It's not worth it. I don't care if you have to pay extra money. I don't care if you have to sleep on the floor. Don't try it. But we tried it. That's what happens when you grow up driving in New York City. You're like, yeah, no, I could do that.
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I could do anything. It's fine. It's just some snow. God. Yeah. Uh, But Between Two Cities is good. This is a good game. I Mm -hmm. still have it. I have the expansion. The Essential Edition just got announced, which is really just the the game and the expansion. So Mm. It's very few short seven-player games out there that actually have a little bit of meat on them. This is one of Mm them. It's pretty good. Yeah,
2: it's about building two cities. In fact, each player builds two cities, but you build them with the player to the left and right of you, which is an interesting take. I don't ever remember seeing that previously. So no. that was that was interesting.
1: Yeah. All right. Uh, next up, we, we're going to jump forward a little bit because we had a bunch of episodes without like feature-feature reviews, but Spyfall. Mm-hmm.
2: Ooh. Uh,
1: this was episode 66. Uh, and you you had a chance to play this, right?
2: I played this a lot. This was a, a constant game at the game nights at the meetups. I'm not a really big party game fan. I do like some party games and Spyfall was one of those games that got a lot of play. And even in the convention circuit, it got a lot of play. So I must've played this two or three dozen times unintentionally. Like I, know, I don't own this game, but you know it was one of those things where it's different. And I think there's even a free app. I don't know if it's still out there, but yeah, basically everyone gets a card. And one player is a spy, and the rest of the players know what location they're in. So everyone has to ask each turn. Everyone asks a question, trying to figure out who the spy is, and the spy is trying to figure out where they're located. And it's it's surprisingly fun. It's another it's another one of those games where it shouldn't be fun because the premise is so thin, and yet it's a lot of fun. And it, it doesn't suffer from a lot of those other party games where it's just like werewolf where you're just picking people to knock out. It's actually... Yeah. Pretty innovative as far as like how you dodge the questions or how you ask the questions without giving things away. And I've I've really enjoyed being the spy because like when you can get through as a spy, it's fantastic.
1: I still never played this, so oh my god, <laughs> I don't these party games. I just I don't. I've never. I don't know. Like I don't travel in those circles, and we don't play a lot of party games. Sure, I hear you. So, um, but always looked cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, next game up is one that. <laughs> I think the review here was a little uh, torn because you like this. I did not. Uh, Castles of Mad King Ludwig. This was the follow-up to Suburbia. Uh, Mm -hmm. And I remember Allspec telling us specifically, I made this game so I could sell some more games in Europe because they don't like Suburbia in Europe. So this was like the tile laying tableau builder Mm -hmm. for the Europeans. And... I, I like the tile laying part. I did not enjoy the auction mechanic. Mm. I did not like the fact that somebody would pick how those things go out. It really, sure. really, really slowed the game down a mm. lot in the two or three plays I've had. And mm-hmm. I felt like that could just be removed and just replace it with a normal mm. like market of available tiles like you have in Suburbia. And I think I would like this game like two to three times more. <laughs> but I've, I've played it three, four times now over the years. And I've not one of those times that I enjoy it. So I'm pretty firmly in the camp of, I don't like this game at this point.
2: But Anthony, would you like it more if it was 10 times bigger? No,
1: I think I might like it 10 times less because now it's really big and it's taking up all the space in my table.
2: No. How about if it was 10 times more expensive? Come on.
1: Oh, well then obviously.
2: Yes, there you go. That's means
1: quality, right?
2: Yes yeah obviously they had their kickstarter relaunch with the mom i don't know just like monumental big tiles and like they're big and then there's a bigger version of them which is, is it's still very crazy i've i've seen like now i've seen a couple of pictures of it but they're not great pictures i really want to see this on the table how people play the super gigantic version i like this again it's when you play the first you know the base game of it it does not form any kind of thing that you would think of as as far as a castle floor plan is concerned. It's just like a bunch of weird squares and circles kind of like squished together. And you're like, I did a thing, and that's kind of fun, but it's not, it doesn't look really like a castle. So you have to get the expansion. Like, oh, cool, now it's got a moat, so it kind of looks more castle-esque, so to speak. But I did like this. I, I don't mind the auction. It's fine. I guess you could house rule it without the auction, but the auction is primarily like how much can you pay for a thing or how much can you, you know, hate draft and keep something away from somebody. So yeah, it's still fine. It's still in my collection. I bought the expansion secrets. It's much, much better with the expansion. I didn't buy the super collectors edition because I'm not a mad King. (laughs) You know, just saying don't have the money, don't have the insanity for it. So
1: yeah. All right. Uh, so yeah, Mad King Ludwig, that was episode 66. Uh, next one up we talked about in episode 67 we played all three of us played this you me and daniel mm-hmm. um in daniel's apartment ghost stories Ooh, that was spooky. this is a brutally difficult cooperative game uh based on chinese ghost stories that mm-hmm. I, I'm, I don't remember what the score was but i'm sure we lost because i've <laughs> actually never beaten this game i've played it maybe a dozen times solo since and i like it quite a bit i think it's a very clever puzzle especially with the expansion but I've I've never beaten it, and hmm. it's probably why it doesn't come out anymore. Because sure. I don't I don't mind losing, but I just I don't even know how to s- go about beating this game. Hmm. So like I can't see the path to victory. So it's it's discouraging <laughs> at that level.
2: Yeah, it's hard with those co op games. Like they should be punishing and feel great when you win. But if you can never win or never see a you know light at the end of the tunnel, that's kind of bad, right? Like. All those kind of games of chance, you know. Where if you go to a casino, it's like, oh, I, I almost won. Like you really didn't, but at least it makes you feel like you almost right, did. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. Ghost Stories is like, no, nah, <laughs> you weren't even close, bro. Like <laughs> that was never going to happen. Like you yeah. were going to, you were going to lose in like twenty different places. This is a game that, again, they're like one of my favorite games of all time. Is a co op game, but co op games have never really been a big thing for me because primarily it's like alpha player issues this was one of those games where I felt like legitimately I would love this game and I played it and it just, it's okay. And I know it's a classic, but it just never really, I've never really thought about this game since you just mentioned it. Like I don't, it's just a flat game for whatever reason.
1: Yeah. It's tough. Like I bought all the expansion stuff for it when Asmodee Mm -hmm. had it on clearance, one of those Christmas sales. Um, apparently it's all very rare now. So I just Mm -hmm. hold on to it for that reason, even though I don't play it. Um, but I'll probably get rid of this eventually because it just doesn't hit the table anymore.
2: Yeah, makes sense.
1: Uh, next up was a game by Philip DeBerry that was on Kickstarter. I backed it. It was called Fidelitas. It was a card game. It was really cool, like, Orleone-style artwork, and mm. we played it at the mall. I remember that. <laughs> and that was the only time I played it because we played through it, and it was broken in several very obvious ways and uh, was not enjoyable. So, Ooh. I don't remember if this review was like a full burn or not, but it was definitely a not worth playing um, on episode sixty-eight. So uh, I don't own this game anymore. I think it meandered its way into the trash bin at some point.
2: I literally have no memory of this. Like, like this yeah. sounds, this <laughs> sounds made up. Like this sounds like I a made-up game.
1: It was like a fifteen-minute card game that we played seven years ago. So I don't, I don't know why you'd remember it. <laughs> so.
2: I guess clearly not. So yeah, maybe that's maybe it, that's a good thing.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean. We devoted a good 10-15 minutes of our podcast to it, but well there you we go. Shall, we shall devote no more. Moving on. <laughs> there you go. Um, also on episode 68, this was your review, I think. Uh mm-hmm. lanterns. Yeah. I have not played lanterns, so it must have been you. Know.
2: <laughs> so. Yeah, lanterns was a game I kick-started, and it's a tile-lane game where you're trying to create these different lantern patterns in the ocean. And there's a, there's some sort of like matching and, and point scoring going on. It's a very simple, easy, chill kind of game. And that's what I liked about it. It's since got a um, expansion. Never got the expansion. Always was kind of hovering because Lanterns used to hit the table and now it doesn't hit the table at all. I still own it. I never picked up the expansion, but like, uh, you know, should I? And maybe it would actually get some table time. It's got some extra goals and objectives. And I believe that it got a better deluxe version of it because previously it was just kind of cardboard tiles. It's a good game if you see it on sale. I would recommend picking it up. I think I think you'll enjoy it with the family. But beyond that, I just it it's just there's just not enough to it to kind of like keep it like in a you know filler kind of category.
1: Right. Uh, I played the lanterns dice game. Not great. Uh, <laughs> next up, we had Abyss. 2014's Abyss, uh, also in episode 68. I don't remember mm-hmm. who reviewed it. I remember playing it, but I know I hadn't replayed it. I had not played it at this point. So this must have been your review.
2: I think it probably was. I own this, and I've owned it for a long time. And I think I own all but maybe one of the most... I don't think I own the most recent expansion. I think primarily because they switched the artists, which is not the end of the world, but also the art was iconic. And I remember getting this game and being so excited about it. And I still enjoy it. I played on Board Game Arena a bunch. But it wasn't as challenging or interesting as I had hoped. Basically, you're it's Underwater Kingdom. You are picking up subjects, which is kind of a set collection to be able to trade those in to get lords. The lords give you powers, and they also score with their special abilities. And there's some interaction, some take that kind of thing. Not too major. And then there's locations, and locations kind of tuck away your lords you know scoring you additional points but losing their special abilities i i still like this game a lot i think it's very innovative it's a different theme there's little you know little supposed pearls that you use as as kind of currency in the game but it is of the lighter fashion the expansions obviously add to it make it a little better but uh overall still a really great game still glad i have it um the most iconic board game cover probably of all time oh yeah yeah
1: That's the one thing that game will be remembered for Yes. If, if, if there's two things, it's the pearls that you can easily drop on the floor. Um.
2: <laughs> well, it has a little plastic quasi clamshell. I mean, That's to be true. fair. That's true. It, and I and, could- I, and then I, one point I saw they had the, the abyss art book on sale for like whatever it was. And I, and I picked it up relatively cheap. I'm like, I don't need to own this, but also the artwork's amazing. So I'll buy it and I bought it. I like flip through it once and I just put it away. I'm like, okay, I owned it. (laughs) 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 I don't know why I own it now. So yeah. Um, It's like every art book I've ever bought.
1: I'm like, yeah, that's really cool. Now it's on the top shelf. It's covered in (laughs) dust. I will never look at it again.
2: That's right. That's right. We don't, we, we, we're, we're fortunate enough to be able to own things, but at the same time when you can't use them, it's yeah, it's certainly a thing. So yeah. Anyhow.
1: Uh, all right, next up we had Rumble in the House, uh, which is re implementing Rumble in the Dungeon, mm-hmm. which I remember playing these at PAX East mm. the year before. Uh, but this is a review, you know, in 2015. So presumably it, it got back to the table at some point. Episode 69, we talked about this game.
2: This is probably me again. I own this game. I think I own both of them. And then I think there's been several other versions since. And primarily, it's, it's a pretty cute little filler game. It's a small square box. And inside the box, there's a, there's a bunch of tiles that make up the different rooms. And there's a bunch of little wacky costume characters. And basically, all you have to do is you you know place them on the board. And then you're given two random characters. So you play two characters in that house that you're trying to stay alive. So it's kind of a King of the Hill situation. But you can control any of the characters. So you're trying to keep it secret which characters you are. And you're trying to knock out other characters, so it's like move, move, and then eventually you can you can knock out another player. It's fun, it's fast. You can play both of those things together, and I think, like I said, I think there's other versions as well. It's a great little filler, and I think it it literally plays for everybody, right? Like put the characters out. You can move any character. You have two secret characters. If one of them lasts to the end, you win the game, and that's it. So it's the quickest, easiest explanation of a game possible. So yeah, if you can see us on, if you can find this on sale. I definitely recommend picking it up. It's quick, easy, fun game for anybody—literally anybody—at that point. Kids can play this; not a problem. Yeah,
1: yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, next up, we had the Agents, also episode sixty-nine. This was also a game you played, not me.
2: Yeah, this was a Kickstarter. This was like early days of Kickstarter with, and the Agents had this really cool artwork aesthetic to it. it reminded me of like MTV's Aeon Flux. This really kind of very spyish, futuristic kind of artwork. I didn't buy it when it was on Kickstarter, and then I regretted it because it had this really cool system with the with the cards that they you know they had a top and bottom to them, so the top did one thing out to the other player, and the bottom did something else. So multi use card games um, I have a weakness for. I did pick this up, I think at a I think it was at an auction, and then I try to collect some of the other pieces. I haven't played this in forever, but it is a very good two player game. It has a lot of weird kind of expansions to it, so it's not like a solid everything-in-one-box kind of situation. So if you have it, you probably enjoyed it. I I haven't gotten to the table since. So I kind of feel bad about it, but also, you know, it's one of those games where, like, multi-use cards are, like, the best thing in the world, but also they're the most complex thing in the world. So you give them to someone to play a game, they're like, I don't know, there's, like, 20 different symbols on it. I'm like, ugh. (laughs) <laughs> I'm just like, sorry. I don't know.
1: Yeah, uh, That's good stuff. Yeah. Um. All right. The next up, we have a trio of games that we played at our friend Dave's house. Yes. Uh, it was me and you and Daniel and Dave. And mm-hmm. I feel like someone else was there. Eddie? Maybe Eddie was Eddie. there. It's yeah. either Eddie or I I can't remember. But there was five of us. And so we played <laughs> games that played with five people. Sure. The first of them was the Speaker Stotts. Yeah. Stefan Feld's game about putting out fires in the uh-huh. speaker's dot, which is a very unique auction mechanism, very clever, yes. um, being re implemented with their updated stuff, which is, is that Amsterdam? Well, it, it got, Hamburg? Well,
2: yeah, but go back for a step, right? It got re implemented in Jorvik.
1: Oh, yeah, but that was terrible. Yes, that so... was terrible. I
2: own a copy of that. <laughs>
1: Which it shouldn't be. It's the same mechanics, but the way they implemented the mechanics and some of the component changes they made just made the game objectively worse. Mm -hmm. I don't know why they would do that, because Mm -hmm. the Shrieker stat with the expansion is a brilliant game. Mm -hmm. Without the expansion, it's fine, but -hmm. it can be a little frustrating because you can get stuck with having accomplished nothing the entire game if you lose all your auctions. Um, Like, if you lose all those auctions, you get nothing done. You just lose, and it's not a lot of fun. But... it's, it's fun, it's clever, you're, you're collecting all these different things, there's a shipping ec- mechanism to it, there's a element where you have to make sure you have the firefighters necessary to respond to the fire level that comes out. The auction me- mechanism is interesting because it's like worker placement, but where you place the workers will determine what the auction bid is. And so you can go in and mess with other people's bids and, again, block them from being able to take actions. It's a really mean game. And it's very tight and the scoring is low. It doesn't feel like a Stefan Feld game at all. Uh, it's, it's one of his better games and I'm glad it's coming back because it's one of those ones where I'm like, this is a good one that should be around and it hasn't been for such a long time other than Jorvik, which was terrible. Uh, so we're getting it back, which is great.
2: Yeah, famously, at least back in the day which was many days ago, this game was like impossible to get. And the expansion was like insane. Like the expansion was like $150 or something. It
1: still is. I have the original version of this game and I've been looking for that expansion for like a reasonable price for years, like eight years now. I've been trying to find it.
2: Yeah. I think our friend Dave was on that same quest for a very long time as well. So good luck to you all. (laughs) <laughs> right <laughs> yeah, i i, I like, like this game to figure so, that out <laughs> yeah i like this game so much that i keep Yorvik with me nonetheless even though it's not a bit i would i would trade it in a second for speaker shot like when right. i'm having a question i'd be like i throw it out the window i'd be like sure take it it's fine
1: yeah <laughs> yeah um yeah so that that's one we played another one we played that was out of print at the time but then was quickly on kickstarter like the next year is medici writer mm-hmm. can is um, i guess it's an auction game and yeah, you're just trying really. to move up in different tracks Colors. based on the uh, the different goods that you accumulate. Mm-hmm. Very quick, very clever, plays up to six. I have the updated version with the Vincent Dutra artwork. Very good. Mm-hmm. And then we played Euphoria, third, mm-hmm. and I think we mm-hmm. all had very different reviews of this game. Good. Where did you land on this? I don't remember. Maybe it was Daniel who really liked it, because I hated it.
2: Euphoria... Euphoria has a really weird... I mean, there's just... and an, I mean, listen back to the episode. I don't, I don't think that you and I can give it credit. The rule book was terrible. This was... Terrible. Um, a, a Stonemaier game. And there's so much good about that. Again, this was the early Kickstarter days. And it was such a unique dystopian kind of work replacement theme. And it was just... It was just so wonky and obtuse. And it just... It didn't really flow very well. Like, it just, it was odd. And it just, like, ever, you, I don't know, like, I wanted to love this game and I just couldn't. It was one of the very, it was one of the only, I think, I think it's the only early Stonehire games I just didn't buy on the spot. This was just like, oof. And then over the years, it's been on sale, like, an incredible reduced amounts. And I was just like, no, I still can't buy this. So, but, uh, Medici was very good. So, there, <laughs> that's yeah. a thing. Yeah, I I backed
1: it as soon as I saw it. I really enjoyed that game. I yeah. I bring it with me when I know we have big groups because it's yeah. a good one for that.
2: Absolutely. Uh,
1: all right. Next up, we have moving on from our game day with Dave. Uh, Matine. <laughs> sure. This this one we played at
2: the believe, convention. Was,
1: yeah, this was at Gen Con. Was it? Yeah. Gen Con?
2: I think it was Gen Con. It might have been Origins, but I think it was Gen Con because this was something we all backed on kickstarter because this is the same designer of glory to rome right and we were very excited about that and we went to the game room picked up our copies and learned it and was like this theming is fantastic these mechanics are not yeah and it was really terribly kind of disappointing it's not a bad game but it's not a great game and then i think it's I guess one of the root ways I can show you that like I bought, bought a game Kickstarter. I liked the game, but how much I didn't love the game is I didn't. I never picked up the expansion, and that expansion has been on sale a bunch of times. I'm just like I should pick this up. I own this game. I kind of like it. It's cool, yeah. and then it's just like ah, I can't spend another seven bucks. For the I know. <laughs> <laughs> I
1: like- don't. I don't even know why I bought this in the first place. I don't like Glory to Rome that much. Oh my
2: god, I love. Glory and to I was Rome.
1: like, oh, it's probably because of the theme. And everybody yeah. else. And I was still at that point with Glory to Rome where I'm like, I should like this. Everybody says it's great. And I'd only mm-hmm. played it a couple times. Sure. I've now played it, you know, ten years later, I've played it like ten times and I've I still don't like it very much. Mm. So I'm like, I should get rid of my copy of Matai and I, I do not like this game.
2: Yeah. I think I think a lot of the buzz, like you said, was the theme, but also the fact that Glory to Rome, at least the black box edition, was famously out of print off of Kickstarter, so to have a version of that here is great again it just ran into a problem where it was a little too like he tried to do a little too much with the cards and again it's a multi-use card game so i love it but also it it was again very obtuse and just very like clunky right Mm
1: -hmm. all right so uh another game here we talked about on episode 75 moving forward is bonanza
2: beans baby beans
1: beans I love this game. I had not played this before. I think Daniel introduced it to me because yes. um, it's one of his favorite games. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it's Uwe Rosenberg. I was like, yes, oh, of course, I like this, but it's v- one of his first games. So it's nothing like the rest of them, mm-hmm. other than the fact that it's agriculture and plants. Um, it just the the basically the programming of your hand, not being able to move the cards around and then trying to build these sets. It's, it's such a clever mechanic.
2: It's also a very frustrating mechanic. Oh, yeah, it is. <laughs> it's a terribly frustrating mechanic. Because like, when you play games, you're like, I can move the cards in my hand. Like, nope, that's a thing here. And you're like, but why? And they're like, reasons. And you're like, fine. And there's been a lot of versions of this over the years. I like it. I never picked it. I never bought it. It's fine. It's just, you know, it's fine.
1: Yeah, I guess I don't own it. But I do like it, and I'll play it if it comes out uh also in episode 75 we talked about evolution this is our full review this was not the preview we did of the kickstarter which was the year before that and we (laughs) hated it based on that and i remember like they were not happy with us no they sent us the prototype and we played it and it did not go well because we had a bad (laughs) experience but when the game was finally finished and published and came out and we got a copy we played it properly pretty sure this was your review and it was Mm -hmm. generally positive
2: yeah, I've played Evolution probably about two dozen times, if not more. And I've played this expansions and its variations along the way. I really like the game. I still dislike heavily the app version of this. It just, mm. yeah, it's just, it's such a bad interface for the game. I don't know. I don't understand what they were thinking when they put that interface. Because I was excited when it was like, oh, they're making an app of it. I'm like, excellent. I really want this. I'm just like, and nope. But the idea that you could you have these kind of, you know, creatures, species, and you could put all these different aspects on them, hunter, prey, long neck, you know, shells, and just build, you know, evolve these creatures to be like dominant, whether they're herbivores or carnivores. It's just an amazing theme. Although if you are somewhat an established Eurogamer, and you sit down and play this, there's such a lot of take that because people go carnivore all the time. And they just spend the whole game just eating you. <laughs> so it's just like, <laughs> I don't know if I like to play this anymore. <laughs> so like you keep trying to evolve to avoid them. And they just keep eating you throughout the whole game. So yeah, that was the thing. So yeah, no, I, I still own a copy of this. It's still pretty great. Uh, whatever version you get is a good version. So yeah, good game.
1: All right, just, good stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, next up, we have uh, a pair of games that we played uh, with Dave. Again, Dave's everywhere. Hey Dave. Uh, he he came over to my place in Brooklyn right before I moved out to Pittsburgh. I think this was for my birthday. And we played Zulk in the Mayan calendar and the Castles of Burgundy. And this for me at least was the very first time I had played the Castles of Burgundy in full. Mm-hmm. So I now own both of these games. Mm-hmm. I enjoy both of these games. I just recently committed to a very large sum of money for an upgrade to the Castles of Burgundy that I probably don't need. Uh, And I will almost certainly regret the same way I regret my Suburbia Collector's Edition. Uh, But these are both in my top 100. And so I do remember that game day fondly. Uh, And it was the first time I really got to use my upgraded bits from Stonemire for Zolkin, like the corn and the gold. Mm It was a lot of fun.
2: Yeah. and, And these are both very, like, these are modern day classics. Like these will always be classic games. The Castles of Burgundy. I also remember because... I remember picking this up and it had already been somewhat of a modern day classic. And then realizing there's all these extra pieces to it, like, oh, you can get these other boards and you can get these bags. And it was like, I I feel like the board game geek store, like started out making any kind of real money off of that alone. Probably, yeah. (laughs) Because I bought so much of that, like random stuff over the years. And for whatever reason, it just never really got table time, maybe because other people had copies. And then they reprinted it. And I was just like, well, that's great. And then I think they reprinted it again at a later point. Now, obviously, you got the super deluxe version. So I'm like, I probably spent more money on the promos and the extra pieces than the, actually the board game when I was, you know, if you add it all up. So uh, still a very good game, kind of the quintessential point salad game, but it's a very smart game. I play a lot on board game arena. Mm-hmm. That being said, uh, Zulkan the mind calendar is a very different game. So again, most games, at least if you're a new Euro gamer, a lot of the games are worker placement games. So when you play Zulkin, it's a very different game because it's a worker displacement game. So the workers go out, but they really don't do anything until you pull them off. And that's a very different take on board gaming. And it had these really cool wheels to it. I never purchased a copy of this for some reason. I think maybe in part because I always thought they were going to come out with a super deluxe version. And they never did. So weird, but also both very good games. Very good games. Very good indeed. Yes. yes. Excellent. Uh-
1: and and like somehow they've held up really well, even though they both have more modern versions from the same designers that do something similar, but in a more interesting way. So that's it's fun to go back to those. Mm-hmm. Uh, another one from Stefan Feld we talked about on episode 77 is Luna, which has come back in multiple forms
2: over the <laughs> for multiple, multiple publishers. Yeah, Luna was another Feld that was really out there as far as theme was concerned. And it had elements of all of his games kind of thrown in, thrown into one. And it's a good game. It's surprisingly a good game. It's, it's a weird game, but it's surprisingly a good game. And I think I own this and I I it has not seen table time. And then they re-released it with like more expensive pieces. And I was like, hmm, I don't, you know, we're not really going to do that. And I think they released it a third time at some point. So I don't know. Is this is this part of Feld's upcoming city collection or something? Is this gonna be City Eyes or something?
1: I, I mean it could be. It definitely could be. I think mm-hmm. it's it's one of those good games that fell under the radar because the theme's weird. So yes. it's it seems like it'd be ripe to do that for.
2: Sure. Okay. Yeah, um, if you, if you if you get if you get a chance, play it. Absolutely. Great game.
1: Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. Uh, next up, we have another batch of games that we played all together. Uh, we played these at DexCon. So this was my first time playing Dominant Species. One of the best games ever made. Uh, we played St. Petersburg, a game I love that just remains out of print. indefinitely. <laughs> I wish I had bought it at the time because it was mm-hmm. in print for like a month. Uh, <laughs> Samurai Spirit. which mm-hmm. is a little cooperative uh, yeah. card game. And then Notre Dame, another Stefan Feld game, all about well, mostly about rats. <laughs> Just moving rats around. Um, I I remember liking all of these games. Uh, probably Dominant Species in St. Petersburg the most. Um, and we played several other games that weekend, but these are the ones we reviewed. And Dominant Species, you know, I don't even think we finished that game. I think we got like 75, 80% of the way through it. And whatever room we were in, they were going to boot us out because we mm-hmm. played for like five hours. I'm like, you guys sure. got to go. We're going to come in here and do something. But it was just such an amazing experience. Um, St. Petersburg, I don't really remember very well. I just remember enjoying it. Mm-hmm. So, like Mechanically, I don't remember exactly what that game does. And then Notre Dame, obviously, you have the districts in Notre Dame, and you're moving between them and trying to accomplish these different goals for all the 900 different ways you can score points, but also trying to offset the rats, which will give you negative points.
2: Mm. Uh, Notre Dame was one of those games where it's a feld. And I liked it, but I never really fell in love with it. So it it never became it never rose to that level. I think that got reprinted as well. And I always had meant to purchase it and add it to my collection. And for some reason, it never happened. I just again, it was it was good, but not I don't know. It was not worth owning for me personally. Saint Petersburg was a weird game. I think it's one of one of the I wouldn't say the first, but one of the first kind of big board game meetup games that I played and they're like, we're going to teach you this. And I'm like, are you sure? This seems relatively complicated with these weird little wood symbols that everyone seems to get and then they pass them around and stuff like that. I played this a lot at the convention circuit and I've had tremendous luck winning. And then I go on Board Game Geek and get crushed. (laughs) So I'm just like, I don't know what's going on there. Um, The second edition was supposedly, I I don't know if it was better. I remember Tom Vassell famously had a card in it. And they they added an additional market phase. I think Dave might have had the second edition. And we played it. I played the second edition as well. I think the second edition might be better because it opens things up for that extra phase. Whereas if you're not doing well when you play the, you know, the original version of it, when you don't do well early as far as money's concerned, it's really hard to kind of get back into the game. So player order on that v- original version really matters. So great game. Dominant Species is kind of the most interesting thing because even though I was becoming a Euro gamer, the idea of playing this very flat, boring game with cubes and cones and little cute, you know, like, why would I ever want to do that? And why would I ever want to do that for four or five hours? Like, none of that makes any kind of sense. It doesn't seem fun. It seems overly complicated. It seems hard. It seems just, it seems painful. And yet, I don't know how they do it. And somehow it's one of the most engaging games that you can possibly pay. I, I don't know. Like, again, it's just, I bought it. I own it. Uh, it gets table time, surprisingly enough. And again, it's one of those weird, strange vortexes of just like everything that's good about your board games in a board game. Yeah. I don't know. Just, you know. And all these years, we have never seen like, here's some dinosaur meeples, and here's some metal coins. Like, nope, same game, same kind of thing. Nothing special to see here, kids, but it's still one of the best games of all time.
1: Yeah, that's crazy. And, you know, like, there's an upgraded version now that kind of streamlines the game, makes it shorter, makes it more accessible for fewer players, but the original is still an amazing experience. Yeah. Uh, All right, next up we have uh, Deep Sea Adventure. This was Mm -hmm. on episode 79, and this is a a nice little push-your-luck game from... Uh, Oink games, yep. where you're mm-hmm. diving down and trying to complete your exploration of the seafloor. It's it's a fun game to play at like the end of the night at mm-hmm. a convention. It's a very tiny box you can throw in your <laughs> pocket. Um, there's been like reimplementations and different versions of this, like bigger ones and more engaging ones. But the Oink box, the little tiny one that fits in a pocket, is is probably the way to go.
2: Yeah, I think they recently kickstarted a Moon version of this yeah I, I don't know if it's called moon but it's basically the same kind of small box kind of game and basically like you said anthony it's a press your luck game you send your divers out you decide to stop at some point you collect the treasure and you run back before you run out of oxygen so i think we played this especially with eddie at the time and he was kind of taken with i think he purchased a copy right away i still own this i it's I think it might actually be, in fact, the only Oink game that I own, and I, I will never get rid of this game. Weirdly enough, it's just—it's just a great game.
1: <laughs> it's yeah, just, it really is. Yeah, <laughs> it's just
2: weird. It's just like this should not be this good, and like no, it's really this good. It's—it's it's like that quintessential press your luck kind of game. There's nothing else to it, and it works. It looks good for what it is, and you're just happy with it, and you're just like, yeah, done.
1: Yeah, no, it's it's brilliant, mm-hmm. and it's it's funny because I it's not the kind of game I like either. I don't generally like this type of game, but it just, it hits the table a lot. Yeah. So it's a good one. Uh, next up is one that at the time you talked about frequently, probably because of the Kickstarter, uh, Belfort.
2: Mm. Belfort was another game. I think we had played with Dave. It's it's again, one of those early, I wouldn't say super early, but at least at that time, it was one of those kind of like mainstays at the table, as far as work replacement was concerned, because it had so much you can do with the work replacement game and it was this quasi it was it was fantasy theme you had elves and dwarves and things like this but it was kind of like modern European kind of building kind of structure things like that and I loved everything about it with the exception of the fact that turns took so incredibly long so and that was that was honestly you know sometimes he's like oh it takes a it's a long game or turns but like you are waiting to see what someone does. Like you can't plan ahead. They can take multiple spots and actions. They're going to wait. So like that was always the, that was always the really bad thing about the game. It's it's brilliant in every way, but the the downtime in the game was painful more than any other game I can think of off the top of my head. This downtime game was trash. They had a Kickstarter for its expansion and I backed it, and then they they had some weird kind of things going on with their Kickstarter. I talked about it back in the day. I ended up pulling out of the Kickstarter for that. It's come up a, a bunch of times. It was on sale. It was like an, on an incredible sale. I'm like, how am I not purchasing this? And I'm just like, I don't need to own a game that is good but it takes so long to play at the table that there's so many other work replacement games. I just pass on it. But again, it's a good game. It's not a bad game at all whatsoever.
1: All right. Uh, Next up, we have a couple games that I'm pretty sure you haven't played. Uh, Mm -hmm. (laughs) Onirim and Sylveon. These Mm -hmm. are the solo only games from Shadi Torbay. I guess they have two player versions, but nobody uses those. Um, Onirim is the classic. This is the, like, if you're looking for a solo only game, there's a handful that I'd recommend. This is one of them. It is coming back into print, I think, next month or the end of this month. Asmodee is reprinting all of them. Mm. Uh, which is great because it was Z-Man back in the day. So they would reprint all of them for like a month and then they'd instantly go out of print. And it was terrible. So it's a single deck of cards. You're trying to go through and find all the keys to all the doors to complete this this puzzle aff- effectively. And there's like eight different expansions you can throw in to mix up the, the gameplay. There's a really good app that's available. It does not have all eight expansions, but it's like $3 and uh, the expansions are very very good and integrate right with it sylveon is a big tableau based game in which there's a fire running through a forest and you're trying to save the forest so you're playing out water cards and plant cards and trying to manage the fire as it moves um this is probably my favorite of the oniverse games of which there are now six uh sylveon onirim castellion those are the first three that are there's one before those that's been out of print for like 15 years but those three especially are very very good um the ones that have come since then Arion and Natillion are fine. They're perfectly fine games. They're just a little over-engineered. And then there's a new one coming, Stellarion, at the end of this month. So, uh, But yeah, these reviews, I was playing a lot of solo games. My daughter was like six months old at the time. So I was home a lot, hanging out. She was sleeping, attached to me probably, and I was just flipping cards over. Uh, And so I still own these. I haven't played them in a little while. I do play the OniRim app occasionally, but uh, both games are, are really fantastic.
2: Yeah, OniRim was, was the first solo game that I was introduced to back when solo games was not really a thing. I remember being at the Myriad Game Store and I was waiting to play because everyone was kind of locked into a game. And the manager was like, here's a game, you can play this by yourself. And I'm like, that doesn't make any sense. You know, it's like, oh, you have to shuffle the thing and do the thing. I'm like, that makes no sense. I don't want to play that. But as you said, there's an incredible app and I'm checking my statistics here. I have played OniRim 259 times.
1: Oh, that's yeah. cool. There you go. So, I was wrong. Again. You have played this game <laughs> a lot.
2: I have played this little game a lot, and I have a very good win percentage too. On top of which, so I, I do enjoy the game. It's really great because you could just blow through a game in like five or so minutes, you know, on your on your phone. So yeah, no, I play this. All
1: right, awesome. Yeah, no, it's a fantastic mm-hmm. game. What highly recommended if you play solo. Sure. Uh, all right, next up is Glenn Moore uh, mm-hmm. again. Dave just killing it. Got this game <laughs> to the table for us. Another out of print classic. Yeah. Um, I love this game instantly. We were playing this outside at Dexcon and I I just had a blast. Um, Mm -hmm. it's, it's a game. And then after the time we played it there, I spent a very long time trying to find this game at a reasonable Mm. price. And anytime I saw it at a game night, I would jump into it. I'm like, I want to play that. Like it it gave me the same feeling as Spirium where like, I need to play this. I love this puzzle. It's quick. Mm. It's tight. It's clever. I love the tableau building element of it. Um, And now we get all the Glenmore we want because we have this giant box with like 14 expansions So, (laughs) with the Chronicles.
2: Yeah, I I like this game a lot. Maybe not as much as you, but I did like this game a lot. It was out of print. And as you said, Dave, our deliverer for for those kind of games. It was innovative and it was smart and it was out of print forever. And it was insanely expensive. And like you said, Glenmore 2 came out with all its expansions. I own it. I played it. I played at the convention I haven't played it much table time because now, weirdly enough, it's become such... It's such a massive box now at this point that it's almost really hard to get to the table, weirdly enough. It is, So yeah. Be it's, careful it's, what you ask for, kids.
1: <laughs> I know. Like I've really reached this point now where I have to look at the size of the box on the Kickstarter. If it's bigger than like something I can fit in a Target bag that I would carry with me, I'm like, mm-hmm. not. I'm not getting that. It's too big. Um, all right. Next up, we have Viceroy. This is a kickstarter game that i believe you backed it's based on a russian card game Uh uh-huh uh so thematically it was had all this stuff going on that seemed very dramatic but i didn't Mm. know what any of it meant but (laughs) the game was fun like all these little gems that you're trying to collect
2: yeah i backed this on kickstarter it was a tableau builder again with these kind of cards and they formed the pattern kind of pyramid on the table and when you were able to kind of get the cards properly connected you got to place a gem And I thought so highly of the game that I actually even backed the additional pack of gems to play at the table. And I think we played it a bunch of times and then it never got table time. And then they came out with an expansion on Kickstarter and I was like, maybe, and I didn't back it. And then it was on sale for like, again, five bucks. And I was like, maybe, and then just never picked it up. So Again, it was another one of those games I had better, bigger expectations for and just, just did not live up to it at the table, just did not get the table time. So I still own it. It's still there. It's not a bad game, but it just, just an, I don't know. It's, it's it's seen its time, I guess.
1: Yeah. That's a tough one. Like, I remember enjoying it, but I also remember thinking it was somewhat forgettable. Mm-hmm. Um, next up, we had Shadows Over Camelot, which is a game I wish I had played with you because uh, oh. now it's super out of print and hard to find.
2: Mm-hmm. I, I own a copy of this. I don't know. I don't honestly remember how I got a copy of this. Obviously, I got a copy of this when it wasn't super out of print, and I do also. I did also get the expansion. I got the Merlin expansion to it for it too. This is a Days of Wonder game, and it's very good. It's a co-op game with a trader element to it, and it's one of the very first games to do that. And you're completing a lot of relatively basic kind of mechanics, like basically on your turn you get to do a thing right so like there's a, a bunch of like mini games to kind of play against the secret uh trader. or there can be multiple traders in the game too so you're trying to figure out who the traders are but also primarily you're trying to you know successfully pass the mission so it's not like i find the trader therefore i win it's like no you need to successfully defend the castle and get the holy grail and you know all those other kind of fun stuff So, yeah, this is certainly a game that's worth playing. The artwork, the production, it's Days of Wonder. They do everything great, especially back in the day, a lot more than now. And, yes, I still own it, still recommend it. We'll get Anthony to play it at some point. I guarantee you. (laughs) That'll be fun.
1: Uh, All right, next up, we had a game that I was very excited about uh, from Gen Con in 2015, New York 1901. Mm -hmm. So this was one of the first games I ran to get at the show from Blue Orange. I drag you all over to the mall we sat down at like the pop-up shop for the the board game tables (laughs) and we played it it was fine
2: it's fine
1: it was fine I I held on to a copy of this for several years I think probably because of that post-con like some cost fallacy of like well I put so much energy and effort into Mm -hmm. getting this I really should hold on to it but I just in the end that it didn't get played it really didn't stand out as anything all that special like thematically it was very pretty lived in New York at the time so it's like cool but just I don't know. just didn't do it for me.
2: (laughs) I I, I own a copy of this too. It still might be in shrink, honestly, because I think I got it on major, massive kind of sale, which is sad because it it, it seemed like the start of a thing and it was just kind of more or less like a one and done. I don't think it had an expansion. Do you remember an expansion for that? I don't remember an expansion.
1: I don't think so. I don't think so.
2: But it, it had that kind of potential with the production and it's a good game, but... Also, it's another game that's kind of seen its day. It's nothing really, you know, essential about it or special about it that's going to keep it coming back to the table.
1: Right. Uh, Another game from Gen Con that year, Favor of the Pharaoh.
2: Mm. We played
1: this with Ted uh, Elsbach over at the Bezier booth. (laughs) And I was super, I was like, this is great. I love this game. I'm having a blast with this. I picked up a copy. I got it signed. And... I haven't played it since. Hmm. So, all these games, like the convention, really gets you hyped. It just—it isn't. It's not doing anything all that original, and it is very heavily dice based. So hmm. it's almost Yahtzee-ish in its mechanics, and that could be fun, especially in like a convention setting. But like at the game table with your game group, you're like, ah, I prefer something with a little more meat on its bones. And this is just not that.
2: Yeah, I think that's that was kind of the takeaway. I own a copy of this. I remember specifically the insert not being adequate as far as organizing everything and just like struggling to get everything organized and putting inserts in it or like pieces of paper to kind of like organize everything. And I I remember that being more, I remember that more than I remember the game. I do remember playing the game and enjoying the game. And it's one of those things where you roll dice and you get like, you, you get additional special abilities that give you more dice and get to, kind of gear up. But I think the problem with the game, and it's not a big problem, was that was the only thing the game did. So roll dice, get special abilities, roll dice, get special abilities, roll dice, get special abilities. eh, It's it's still a good game. I still own it. I'm not not mad about it. But yeah, it it has not seen table time at all.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I should say I do also still own my copy. Like (laughs) every time I'm looking at things and pairing games, I'm like, I would play this, but then I don't. So... (laughs) (laughs) Uh, all right. Next up is a game that I definitely got rid of because uh, it just was not going to see the table again after our our attempts to play it. Uh, it's Tragedy Looper. Uh, so I had picked up a copy of this it before Gen Con. I learned it on the bus on the way to Gen Con, which took a couple hours because it was a terrible rule book. And then we played it in one of our hotel rooms, and I think we all generally had a good time with it, but. It is very complex. It's like a hidden role deduction type of game where you have the mastermind versus all these protagonists and each scenario is different so the rules are constantly changing and there's all this different information that like evolves and changes throughout the game. Like it's one of those like brilliant executions of mechanics that is almost mm-hmm. impenetrable to learn and play properly. Yes. So the number of people who've actually successfully played through this is probably relatively small. Um, it also has a very anime theme to it. So you have to be into that, which I mean, we were, but I'm sure a lot of people are not. So I there was no way I was ever going to get this at the table again because I moved to Pittsburgh like three weeks later. Mm. And if I'm like, I'm not learning this game or teaching this game again to new people, I got rid of it. It's just it was not going to happen. <laughs> so,
2: This is a game that they clearly overproduced and they had really high hopes for it because I've always seen this game on sale like there's not like anytime there's a sale at one of the big online stores, this is always on sale for like 10 bucks. And I'm just like, I'm like, that's kind of a shame, but I also remember it being so challenging to play that it just, yeah, no. Yeah.
1: Yeah. No, it's definitely yeah. rough.
2: Good concept, but no, not. Yeah. Uh,
1: all right. Next up, uh, another game from uh, Gen Con 2015 hostage negotiator on episode 83. Uh, I got a chance to play this with the designer, AJ Porfirio. Um, he was showing it off. I think it was after the first Kickstarter, but before the second, much larger Kickstarter. And this is a fairly difficult solo-only game. It's dice-based, but there's a lot of mitigation you can do to like make the dice do what you want. And you can still get Hostage Negotiator, but the much, much more popular version of this now is Final Girl, which is a re Um, uh, But the very first time I played the game, You know, he was walking me through it, showing the mechanics. I was taking pictures and I beat it on the first play. And he's like, that's not how it's supposed to go. And I'm like, all right, cool. But it made me really like it (laughs) (laughs) because, you know, I'm a human. Uh, And so I backed it and I was all about it. And then I've played it several times since. And Mm I've never beaten the game again. I don't remember how many plays I have, maybe 15, 20. But I have one win at the convention in 2015. Have not beat it since.
2: I don't really play it anymore. So that, that, um, That'll teach you kids. Only play game once. Yeah, <laughs> Just yeah. walk away. As soon as you beat that game, be done. Be done. Be um, like, nah, I'm done with that. I have 100% win rate on that game. I don't need yeah. to play that again. I just, I just
1: remember the look on his face. He's like, oh, that's not supposed to happen. <laughs> like, well, like, I don't time. know.
2: You are right, sir. You are certainly right.
1: Uh um, all right, next up we had Voyages of Marco Polo episode 84. I was super 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 excited for this game. Um mm. like I don't remember the original description of it. It was something stupid like Terra Mystica meets Dominion or like something that didn't make any sense. Like once you play the game, you're like that doesn't make any sense, but whatever it was described as probably on the dice tower, I was like I have to get this. And so I went over to the complete strategist, which was only two blocks from my office at the time. And this was like two or three weeks before I moved and I got a copy and we sat down and we played it uh, in my apartment again, just a few weeks before we moved and instantly fell in love. Just one of my favorite games, like right off the bat, um, you know, the, the contract completion, the the management of the movement, uh, the dice mechanics and like all the different ways you can mitigate those, the super, super asymmetrical player powers, such a good game. Yeah,
2: this, this, this this felt to me like, I don't know if this is the right term. I mean, like, it felt like a, a new age as far as board gaming was concerned. It was like, there was board games, and it was mostly Feld, and it was Uwe, and, you know, a couple of others, Gertz, and just, there was just kind of like that normal, traditional route. And then when these guys came on stage, and the Voyages of Marco Polo came out, I was like, oh, like, this is just a very different not radically different, but a very different take take on board games. And you felt like this was the next generation. And this has gotten incredible amounts of play time. The expansion is brilliant for it. And yeah, this is a great game. Absolutely great game.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, all right, next up, Nevermore from Smirk and Dagger Games. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think this is the last <laughs> game I played with uh, you and Daniel before I moved away. And so I remember having a wonderful time with this, but it is actually also a very good game. It's not just nostalgia. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's the, it's a clever trick takey type of card management game um, Mm -hmm. with, with fairly well done crow
2: art. Um, There's an expansion for this
1: too, but but I've played with the expansion.
2: I've played with the expansion. The expansion makes the game better. It has like asymmetrical kind of game powers and, it lends itself more into the theme deeper. It, it has all the kind of Poe stories that go along with it. This was one of Daniel's favorite games, and I think, I believe the copy that I have is his. I think he gave me his copy before he headed out as well. And it, I think, I want to double check my head here a little bit, but I think it somewhat remains my favorite Smirk and Dagger game. Mm. So, yeah, it's pretty high up there for me.
1: Yeah, that's no, really good. Mm-hmm. Uh, next up, discoveries the journeys journals i'm sorry of lewis and clark this is discussed on episode 86 um this is the card and dice version of lewis and clark and it's it's actually very good it's not very similar to lewis and clark the expedition um which is a race game with worker placement elements this game is you have cards You're trying to complete various objectives. You roll dice. You try to match up the icons to those cards. Yes. And you take actions accordingly. It's very quick. It's very straightforward. The game flows very smoothly. But I think because, and we've talked about this 100 times, if you throw the branding of a previous game onto a new game and the mechanics (laughs) are not similar, people are going to be like, this isn't what I wanted. And then it just drops off the map. So I still, I think I still have this on my top 100. I still really enjoy this game. I hold Mm. on to it. Uh, and I will bring it out when people are willing to play. But it is an anomaly, not just in mechanics, but just in terms of like how it was released and marketed, which is unfortunate.
2: I think you're right on point. And I think this was the beginning of many games that continue to make that ongoing mistake. Yes. Because there's nothing radically implemented here as far as the theme is concerned that you needed to make this a Lewis and Clark game. And I think I own this. I think it's still in shrink. I don't think I've ever played my copy of this. And I'm like, it's fine. But also, this could have literally been anything else. And it would have benefited from being anything else. Because yeah. otherwise, it's just a generic game in the shadow of a better version of a game.
1: Yeah, it's a dice game in which you go on a journey. That could literally be anything. It doesn't it have should to have be been. St. Clark.
2: Yeah, should have been something else.
1: Yeah, And honestly, it's probably just because they had the artwork already. (laughs) They're like, let's reuse it. I guess Um, not to be too cynical, but, uh, it's a good game though, if you find it and it's, it was relatively inexpensive and it is similar to tragedy loop. I think they overproduced it. It's I've never Mm. seen it get expensive. Like whenever I've seen copies, it's pretty affordable. Yep. Uh, next up we had Arcadia quest. We talked about, we've talked about Arcadia quest many times over the years. Mm -hmm. Uh, I believe this was the first time we formally reviewed it in any form. So I have it listed as Arcadia Quest Beyond the Grave on episode Mm -hmm. 86. We also played, I believe, Inferno at one of the Mm -hmm. Gen Cons. I don't know if it was that one or the next year, but (laughs) this is when we reviewed it. And we now both own almost all of
2: it. Almost all of it. Yeah, I think this is the second expansion.
1: Yeah, Beyond the Grave was the first full expansion of the game.
2: Yeah, and I remember this came out first and like you said, then then Inferno came out, which was a different mechanic where you actually did damage to yourself. So Right. These were these were again, you can you can tell me all day Zombicide and I and I'll give it to you. The way that they've implemented the, you know, IPs in ways that are legally distinct has been amazing. But this was a game that in and of itself was so good. And even with the expansions, it was still good that it, it really more than I think more than almost any other game out there that was not a already established IP. This was the game where you wanted to collect everything. So that started a very, bad, very bad down spiral of like, hey, can I buy that one figure? Oh, it's $90 because reasons. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, maybe not. So, yeah, this was this was a good this was also another good version of it as well. Yeah. I
1: have not played any of this stuff in years, but I still have my Usagi Ojimbo Arcadia mm-hmm. Quest figures right here on my desk because they're really cool looking.
2: It, it breaks my heart that they never did the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Oh my they, gosh. Yeah. That they lost the lice like no. Yeah.
1: That would have been cool.
2: Yeah, I I was on there. I I, I started a rally. We hit, we had many people. So yeah, it breaks <laughs> my heart there. It's the perfect it's the perfect thing. They should have done it. I can't. Let's not I talk know. about it. Let's move on.
1: I know, we should move on. <sighs> All right, moving on. We have Xeno Shift Onslaught. Sure we so, do. <laughs> <laughs> this is from Cool Mini or Not, not on yet at the time. Uh, mm-hmm. It was a deck building game uh, with base defense. So you have aliens attacking your base, you're building up your deck to fight them off in waves. <laughs> it's a pretty clever mechanic. It was yeah. actually a very fun game. The problem with this game was if you just bought the retail version of it, you ran out of content in about two plays. Wow. It was, it just, there wasn't much in the box because they were using that Kickstarter model. Now, if you backed it on Kickstarter and had all the cards, you had all these different cards to choose from, but they were trying to go for that, like legendary alien or legendary, just a legendary model kind of Mm -hmm. a game. And it doesn't work if you don't have card selection, right? Mm -hmm. You want to build a deck. You want to be able to have different options and upgrade your difficulty and, you know The default ways to upgrade difficulty in this game without all the extra cards were just like, it's fine. The game was fine. So like, I don't remember if we got a review copy of this or not. Uh, I remember playing it two or three times, and then there was a second version of it that came out somewhere along the line, but it's not something I held on to because I did own it for a little while, but I got rid of it just because it, it played itself out. There wasn't It wasn't fun anymore because I wanted more content, and there was no way to get that content because it was all Kickstarter-exclusive <laughs> stuff.
2: Yeah, it's another one of those games where, like, it came out, it came and went as quickly, it went as quickly as it came, and it just, I don't, like, I I remember this game, especially because the spelling of the game is so difficult, so I know a lot of people had a hard time trying to even find this game online, and I think that was, in part, part of the problem there, so. Right. (laughs) Yeah, I don't, I, someone recently mentioned it, and I was like, oh yeah, that was a game, I remember that for like two seconds, so. Yeah,
1: Yeah, it died so fast. Yeah. Uh, all right uh, next up we have the princes of Florence which mm-hmm. is a game from 2000 that I played at a game night like within the first couple months after I got to Pittsburgh and immediately fell in love with and it was really cheap and I went and bought a <sighs> copy on Amazon It was like 20 bucks um, and it's a lot of fun you're playing as you know you're trying to make these various patrons happy in Florence you're doing all these various things um, astronomy and organisms and architects uh and there is a polyomino element to the game there's also these different cars you'll collect you have to make all these different uh potential patrons uh or you are a patron you're trying to make all these artists and scholars happy you're trying to uh, attract them to your palace so this is a wolfgang king wolfgang kramer game (laughs) along with richard ulrich and jen's christopher ulrich and i didn't realize how old it was because it felt like something modern and interesting and new and it had mechanics I had not seen before, but turns out it's from over 20 years ago. And I keep wishing they would re-release this in a new updated version. They have not, but I still have my clunky old Alea version and it's good.
2: Yeah. I remember buying a banged up, a really banged up copy of this because of your recommendation and never saw table time.
1: So no, so good. Although (laughs) there are polyamino, so you might not like it. I don't know. (laughs) Uh, All right, next up, a pair of games that I've still never played, but I know they're they're favorites of yours. First up, Shipyard, Mm -hmm. one of your favorites I know. And then Kalis, which is crazy I've never played this because I love Spirium so much, but I still have not played this.
2: Yeah, both of these games are favorites of mine. Uh, Kalis was a really interesting game because that had been around for a while. That's the famous uh, blue (laughs) king dressed in blue with that kind of scowl on his face that I think is iconic in board gaming and it it really does fit the game because basically you are just building up and you're putting out these buildings and very kind of straightforward kind of Euro game. And yet it has the most interactive take that kind of actions in a, you know, required actions in a Euro game I've ever seen before. So this is very dynamic, very poke you poke your friends throughout the whole game but it's never, you know, it's never purposely or randomly mean. It's just, it's legitimately part of the game. It plays best at the highest player count. So there's a lot more of that interaction. And I've enjoyed it. And it's recently got a reprint. And I've never been able to purchase the original because it was out of print. The reprint came out and I'm still circling around it. But never picked it up yet. And then obviously Shipyard was my, I guess my, I don't know if it was my formal introduction to Vladimir Suchi because I played so many of his games at this point. But it's another one of those games kind of like dominant species that should not work, looks really archaic in a lot of ways, has these endless number of rondels. And yet when you play it, it's fascinating. You get to you get to physically put together a cardboard ship, you get to kind of navigate this little passageway with it, and basically it does one of the most brilliant things in the world, which is it, it gives you a bunches a bunch of bonuses at the start of the game. And throughout the game, you discard the bonuses, so you kind of work your way down to the uh, scoring engine that you really want. And it's just a lot of fun, an endless number of bits to it. But again, it's another one of those games that I always thought it was going to get reprinted in some sort of maybe even a space theme, and never did. Shipyard's still out there. If you get a chance to play it, you owe it to yourself. One of the best games, especially for Fire and Mitsucci of all time.
1: Yeah, it's... I... I want to play this game. I think I even have a copy somewhere. It was on mm-hmm. sale at some point, and I just haven't gotten it to the table. I need to do that.
2: Mm-hmm, definitely.
1: All right. Uh, next up, code names. <laughs> I, I don't know what we could say about code names. It hasn't been said a billion times everywhere else. It's code names. Yeah. There's,
2: it's, there's it's, picture versions. There's super deluxe big card versions, so you can actually read the text. And yeah, you know, there's Disney the best, versions. And yeah,
1: best version is the co-op duet version. Yes, I agree. If you want to play two player. Um, this game makes my students really mad. I know that it's, it's not as simple as we think it is, I yes. guess it's, it's the takeaway there, but it's a classic all time instant classic, uh, one of the most popular party games in the world. And it's very, for gamers, it's relatively simple to get into.
2: Yeah. Well, a little bit, a little bit on the boring side if you're, if you're waiting for clues, but otherwise good game.
1: Yeah. Um, also on episode 90, we talked about the game.
2: What game is that Anthony? The game uh what game anthony
1: the the, the game the, the game strong is emphasis the? on the oh,
2: okay the, okay the uh
1: this is the terribly terribly named uh card game that came <laughs> out in 2015 that is a cooperative i guess ladder climbing type of game you're yeah. trying to get all the cards out of your hand and yes. empty the deck into four piles very simple uh but you can't communicate with each other So you have to play cards. You have to play two cards to one of the piles every single turn. But if you go higher than the current possible value that someone else could play, then all of a sudden they can't play their card. And maybe Mm -hmm. they have to play on a different pile and they mess up that pile. Yes. So it's silent communication. It's one of the early games that use silent communication. Mm -hmm. It's a very, very good game once you've played it a couple of times and understand what you're supposed to do. Uh, This is another one that has an app that you can play solo which is very good and that I will sit and play like 10 times in a row if I'm not paying attention to the time. Sure. Uh, my son loves this game too. He loves the math of it. So it's, it's very accessible for children. Uh, the original artwork was horrendous. <laughs> it was like skulls and fire for some reason. Uh,
2: it, it makes no sense. It's it l- makes it, no sense. It's, it's, and, you, you have to ask yourself, what is the worst thing about the game? Is it the name, The Game?, or is it the artwork that does not at all I mean, like talk right. about a slapped on like I like this game and I want to play this with family and I'm like, hey, you wanna play a game that has like flaming skulls on it for no reason?
1: <laughs> well, you gotta get the Pandasaurus version, which is yes. very yes. kid friendly and it's they sell it at Target. So
2: Well, I look, man, I, I feel at this point I've I've like invested enough in board games that I should be able to exchange bad versions of games for the better versions of the <laughs> yeah. games when they come out. this is one of them
1: I would love to see the target uh, merchant you're just like okay so here's the version I have you take this just throw it away or whatever can I have this new version but I don't want to pay for it because I already paid for this bad version
2: I already suffered through the bad version. So technically, yeah. you need to give me money on top of the giving me the better version of this. So, yeah.
1: And then they'd be looking at it like, why are there skulls on this? Like, <laughs> I don't know.
2: <laughs> it doesn't matter. It's numbers. It doesn't make any sense.
1: <sighs> Somebody in Germany thought it was really funny. I don't know.
2: Oh, God, some, some, Yeah, someone was playing a, a serious gag on everybody.
1: Yeah. It's a good game, though. If you can find it. You can't find it on BoardGameGeek because the name is terrible. But um, if you Google the game card game co-op you will find it (laughs) all right uh, a couple more here uh samurai we talked about Mm -hmm. on episode 90 as well it's a classic writer canicia abstract game
2: yeah i'm typically not a big fan of the overall kind of abstract kind of nature of those games and yet this is a very good game i own it so i played it loved it bought it still own it has not got table time but yes
1: yeah, it's exactly the kind of game I would like, and I just d- didn't get around to picking up a copy, and then it went out of print again. So, mm-hmm. when somebody inevitably reprints it, because it's Reiner Knetia, sure, we'll pick it up. Uh, Conquest of Planet Earth Apocalypse. This one's <laughs> all you, man.
2: <laughs> so, look, there could be a whole episode about Flying Frog Games, and if you are, <laughs> if you are a Flying Frog Game fan, then you are a hundred percent in to Flying Frog Games. I don't know if you're out there. If you're out there, please email me or send us some sort of Facebook, social media message because I would love to talk to you because this is such an interesting company and we have an odd story that goes along with them. And I own a couple of their games, but this is the game that really, for whatever reason, like again, it's, it's more of the traditional kind of board game. There are other things or other types of games. This one was kind of like, really kind of fun throwback to the 1950s sci-fi kind of genre where you had these really classic, weird, you know, silly looking aliens trying to take over the earth. So the earth has its own defenses. You have an alien race, your opponents have alien races, and then you race to destroy buildings and powers and military in order to win. And you're, you know, your alien has its own player powers and it's, it does something different. It's so classic movie it's just so much schlock out there again if you like that kind of throwback you owe yourself to play this game it did have some wonky boards and but the production is relatively good the expansion here apocalypse gives you some more alien kind of things looks like a board cube on on top of everything else i still own this it plays a co-op it plays at a competitive version of the game the competitive version i think is better but co-op also works just as well I still really like this game. It does not get table time, but I I, I will probably always hold on to this game. I have a deep affection for Conquest of Planet Earth and I hope that they redo it or bring it back or something like, great job, Falling Frog Games. You guys are awesome.
1: All right. And then the last one on the list, Tiny Epic Kingdoms in episode 91. (laughs) So it's the first of the Tiny Epic Games.
2: Oh my goodness. I was going to ask you.
1: Yeah, no, this, this is the first one. And it's crazy because that was like late 2015. Yeah. I, like in my head, I was like, oh, they've been doing these for a million years. Like, no, it's only been seven years and they've made like nine games. <laughs> so, um, I don't, I don't remember. I think we all backed this, right?
2: I think one of our group members backed it at like their, whatever it was, like back 10 copies of this. Right. And right, then right. the store closed. <laughs> And I think he ended up with like 10 copies of it and I played it. Someone had gotten a copy of it and it's barely okay. It's like, it wasn't very good. No, it was just like, this is neither epic. It's kind of tiny, but it was that first game that came out and like, oh, I could play a big board game in a small box version quickly. No, 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 you can't that's not a thing
1: (laughs) yeah the the thing about this game though is it was fine like for what it was you're like this game's okay it's it's impressive what's been done here but it was more Mm -hmm. of like an artistic statement of like look what i can do with the tiny space you're like wow that is impressive i'm not having fun but it's impressive (laughs) um and then tiny tiny epic defenders came out and was like now i'm now it's not even impressive and it's not fun (laughs) right (laughs) so when Tiny Epic Galaxy came out, yes. that game was actually good. That was That's the third a good one in the series. Yeah. But I didn't back it because the first two were so disappointing. Yes. Um, and so from then on, I don't back any of these. I wait until I've played them or seen reviews or know something about it because mm-hmm. it is very hit and miss. And I know there's people out there who back all of them. They love all of them. And I understand that. But the only other one I backed was the Tiny Epic Quest because it had like the little Zelda type meeples. Yes.
2: You had the little and weapons. I,
1: yeah, and then I was again very disappointed. So I don't, <laughs> I can't give them my money anymore. Um, and Scott Alms is so hit and miss for me.
2: Yeah, uh, I've done a, like his work. I've done a review of that way back in the day, so I, it's it's somewhere out there in the world. But yeah, I don't know. It's they've they've always been a miss for me, except for galaxies. And like you said, Anthony, it was one of those things where even at that level, I'd rather play Quantum. I think or Mm, similar like games like that but uh galaxies is always good i've always if i see at the table i'll play galaxies but i don't think anything else kind of rose to that level um a lot pretty innovative but beyond that i think it just hit a wall
1: yeah yeah I i haven't played most of the other ones now like i haven't played zombies i haven't played dungeons i haven't played dinosaurs i haven't played western like they might be great i have no idea but there's a lot of these games now they release like two or three a year
2: yeah yeah, I think they had controversy with one of their last Kickstarters with the artwork that they mm-hmm. got a lot of pushback on. So, yeah. So, uh, if you got them, you like them, play them. You know, it's it's yeah. a good small collection to kind of put together. It's just, you know, they also are very long. They're not as, as tiny as you would think. You know, small, yeah.
1: It, they, they're small on your shelf. But they even, like, when you unfold all that, it takes up a normal amount of space on your table. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. it's not even that small. I know Daniel yeah. loved the idea of these though. So, like he really <laughs> wanted it to work.
2: <laughs> well, all right everyone. So that's everything for this week until next time. This is Chris and this is Anthony. And we'll save you all. I see you at the table. Take care everyone. Bye. See ya.